0: Welcome to the EverSaleen podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics and reducing costs.
1: The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense.
0: This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Today, we meet Tom Hughes, the guy who's been around the lean block and then some. Tom had huge success at Alstrom, turning traditional purchasing into a strategic powerhouse. He dove headfirst into the legendary O'Lair. They grew the business to a cool $200 million globally. But the story doesn't stop there. Tom reunited with his first love, engineering at Lumen Electronics. And guess what? He's also into coaching and wrote a book called Improvement Starts With I. Quite simply, he loves lean. Oh, and major fact, he's the co-founder of Docs. They fixed the snooze fest of creating standard operating procedures with their software. Today, Tom's pulling back the curtain on a game changer, putting the answer where the question is. We're talking about having standard operating procedures in the perfect spot precisely when you need them and for the right folks. Tom's about to drop some wisdom on why SOPs are the unsung heroes of the business world. Get ready to dive into the nitty-gritty of their importance, the common pitfalls he's seen, and how to dodge the dreaded SOP wallpaper syndrome, aka folder-in-the-draw scenario that we've all experienced. Tom's got the insights to make SOPs not just a necessary evil, but a strategic powerhouse in your operation. Tom, welcome to the Everselling Podcast.
2: Wow, Matt. Thanks for that intro. It's absolutely fantastic.
0: No, thank you for coming on. I really, really appreciate you being with us. You are so into lead and I love it. I could really bounce off that. I get it.
2: <laughs> yeah, 100%. Life-changing stuff.
0: It is amazing. And your story is incredible as well. Give us a little bit of a, uh, an insight into your career path. I've just highlighted some of the key changes, but you've had some real duck and dives in there as well. It sounds super interesting.
2: Yes, certainly was. You should have been there. <laughs> so, a lot of what happened, I would describe it as I fell from one scenario to the next. So, you know, I went to college in Birmingham. I was a farmer boy, couldn't wait to get out of rural Ireland. And now I'm back there. I love it. But yeah, at the time, I couldn't wait to get away. I actually went there because it was the heavy metal capital. <laughs> uh, the UK. Because I was really into rock music. I used to have my hair down to my waist. So um, yeah, I went to university there and I I didn't even go to, I went to Birmingham Poly. It wasn't even like the posh one. I actually went to do business studies originally, changed my degree after the first year onto an engineering-based degree. Loved it, loved it. Far, far more resonated with me than that. And I was working as a temp in a sunroof factory, sweeping the floor literally, uh, £3.50 an hour at the time. And I got into engineering and quality through that door. Yeah, that that ended with me doing a project during my final year at college with them. And I did six months on the production line with them when I finished uni. Probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. was I've never lost that connection with the Gemba and the people on the Gemba. Yeah, one thing led to another. I was a young quality manager at 25, second tier automotive and plastics. Then I was in supplier development in first tier. Worked in Germany, that company, BTR Trelleborg, automotive. Then I went into Alstom. I was a sourcing director of uh, like a 350 million division. Then I was still in my early thirties. Trinity College, transformative career-wise, private equity with O'Lear, 10 years. The O'Lair story, how that happened, I was reading the Sunday Times. Job ad just leapt out. Purchasing director. Automotive background, MBA, and got a language. Uh, that's me. <laughs> got the job two, <laughs> two weeks later. So yeah, I really regard myself as blessed. I really do. To this day, I'm very mm-hmm. grateful for where I am and the people around me and my experiences.
0: Yeah, I'm a firm believer that when things are meant to be, they just happen. And it sounds like that's exactly what's happened in your career path. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, certainly. And it, it can seem difficult and challenging when you're going through these transitions, especially. It can be pretty scary. But you just got to persevere, keep going and keep moving in the direction you want to go in. Might not always be the path you wanted, but, but you'll get there in the end. I'm a prime example of that.
0: So tell me about Gember Docs, then, Tom. Tell me all about this, because Docs is a fascinating project. And I think it's going to touch a note with many people. So where did this come from and what is it?
2: Well, even how it started, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people because... I was in Lumen Electronics with my business partner, Patrick, and we were launching a new product and we needed to get the work instructions sorted out. And Patrick said, you know all about that. You've done that loads of times. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. I'm there with my phone and I'm taking pictures on the production line and I'm emailing them to myself and sending them via Dropbox and messing around with Excel and PowerPoint and uh so I spent like a day documented about a third of the process and I take the SOP to Paddy and I'm expecting Paddy to go, yeah, Tom, well done, man. That's great. <laughs> and like, instead, Paddy's going, uh, I don't did that take <laughs> <laughs> it. Like, and I'm like, well, you know, uh, I was really knocked back. And he says, don't you have a software company? And I was like, yeah, Oh, well, why don't you fix that? And I was like, all right, okay. And what happened then, I sketched up the basic screens for Gambadox that afternoon. And uh, we built the first prototype for very small money. And it was just for ourselves. We were only fixing our own problem. Did the first little prototype mobile app and I got it in my hand. And I knew the first minute I had it in my hand, everybody's going to want this. (laughs) This is great. And we were able to document a 30-step complex process in like under an hour. Wow. And then I did one of our bathroom at Lumen. It's a common two-second Lean thing. Everybody cleans the bathroom and you learn all about Lean with standards and standardization of the materials and blah, 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 blah. So we did one of our bathroom and uh, I put it on a couple of the groups I'm on with Lean. And we had enough customers to finance the commercial development of Gemadox before we even started. Wow. So we had about 20 paying customers come going, yeah, we'll pay for that before we had it so that's where the that whole thing started and it really is the problem that we're addressing it's that the cumbersome nature of developing SOPs of terrible tools the fact that you can't really do them on the gamba. you're always running backwards and forwards from your desk to where the value being added you're the guy always holding the pen and paper which is a major problem um, of ownership yeah because you're there kind of doing it to the people who are doing the work, which ownership for me is the biggest problem with how SOPs are traditionally done. And also with how I've done them myself for the last 20 or 30 years prior to Gambadox. That's the biggest problem.
0: I think back now to the times where I've been responsible for deploying continuous improvement Mm -hmm. and the amount of time spent creating Excel templates with little boxes in that you go and then take a photo and you bring it back. And then you notice that there's a problem with it where someone in the background is mm-hmm. doing something which is against the standard, So you've got to redo the photo. Mm-hmm. Then you're dragging it into the box and you're trying to make it fit. Then you're printing it out and it doesn't fit the page properly and you redo it. 100%. It's crazy, isn't it?
2: I feel your pain. And I've done that myself. Like even in the recent lean renaissance of mine in the last four or five years, I'd help two or three companies doing that. And I was the SOP guy in my first two (laughs) seconds. The SOP guy. (laughs) I spent afternoons, yeah. I was spending pretty much every afternoon trying to document the processes for maybe like a hundred machines in the factory, maybe doing two or three terrible SOPs a day.
1: Because
2: you have the biggest issue again is ownership. So, right, we're going to have SOPs to start up and shut down and change over all the machines. Tom's down there with his clipboard, pen, Taking the notes, so like, what's the step? And you're there with your phone. And like that whole time, just think about it. You're the one that's owning that, not the people on the machines. The beautiful thing with Gambadox, if I was back in that situation again, i just go, right, well, guys, look at this little app. We can do SOPs. Like, it's no extra burden. You could do a startup process like 12 steps in five minutes. That's that done. He owns it. They own it. And if they need to update it, they can update it. Because the other problem is when you're the SOP guy, you're the bottleneck. So you're so busy trying to create all the new
1: ones
2: (laughs) that the guy goes, oh, we want to make a change. Oh, you're at the back of the queue now. And then what happens, the wallpaper phenomenon kicks in because they're out of date. So nobody can trust them anymore. So you might as well not have bothered
0: doing any of it. And the thing is, though, when that happens, they're saved on one person's machine in a folder. That person leaves the organization or goes somewhere else. And all of a sudden, no one's got all the legacy SOPs to be able to update them.
2: A hundred percent. It's where are they? I've been in that situation several times in my career. Where are the SOPs? All right. Well, they're in that yellow folder over there, you know, in the tool cabinet. And you go, well, okay. Where the heck are the original ones that, like, the digital versions, where are they? And uh, uh, same, same even, you know, you can bring this all over the place when it comes to information from the Gamba. Like I've seen people use Gemba Docs to upload PDFs of machine manuals. Because That's another one. Where's the manual for that machine? Uh, maintenance. <laughs> where if you use the upload PDF thing, we introduce that to help people transition. If they have a bunch of SOPs already, They can create them into PDFs, upload them to Gambadocs. Then you've got one central location for all your SOPs and all your machine related information. If you need to update them, then you can turn them into a real Gambadoc. But everything is all in one place and accessible from one place, which is, again, a key thing you have to have a central location where everything can be found and accessed.
0: How does it work? So I'm, I'm an operator, I'm on the shop floor. I work in a work area that needs some SOPs. Uh, my organization is, is signed up to Gemba Docs. How mm-hmm. does it work then? How do I actually do it?
2: Right, well, the typical scenario is one person will sign up for a free trial. They invite other users to their account. Like in that scenario, if I go back to my first two-second lean company, I'd give the team leader and the user ID under GemmaDox, and there's no training required, I'm not kidding. You just pick it up and go, give it a title, next, photo or video, and a short description of the process step. Keep doing that till you're done. And then depending on your regulatory environment, either send it through an approval process before it goes live, or if you're happy, you just let that go, there's the SOP. And you can deploy it via the app itself, via PC, you can print them off or you can print off QR codes to access. I mean, it all depends on the the application of that specific SOP because they all have an appropriate time in place yeah. how you deploy. So yeah, it's very simple. The, the beauty is in the simplicity. Like there are other tools out there, obviously, that are generally an awful lot more expensive than Gambinox. Like I mean by a factor of 10 and 20. The complexity tends to go with the, the price. Yeah. <laughs> So we have one customer who switched from the market, number one. They won't do a site for less than 30 grand. They went from them to us, fraction of the price. And my favorite quote ever was, I was the only one using it. The old one. I was the only one using it. So like, what's the point? I hate yeah. to say that out loud to all us lean guys. What's the point in having the SOPs so if true. nobody is using them? And so... We're fooling ourselves. In many ways, I think you're better off having none than having a bunch of SOPs that nobody is actually using. So you don't have standards if they're not being used.
0: In Docs itself, can you create your own template and have your company logo in there and all that kind
2: of stuff? Yeah, you you can have your own company logo in there. The standard format's a six-step landscape format, then you have four, then you have two. But the favorite way to deploy them anyway is looking at them step-by-step in the app how we use them in my own company, we hardly ever print an SOP. So if you need the SOP, I would go with the phone, find it, and then as you use it, if you're training someone, for example, you just swipe through the step. So there it is. Yeah. You, this, it can be up to a 30 second short video as a step. We don't use videos that often, honestly. I, whenever we first introduced video, I thought it would be a lot more used than it is. I think actually the photo works better most of the time. It's only if it's a nuanced process, like where mm-hmm. you're going, oh, you have to just bend it just like this to make that PCB like edge break off. Yeah, A photo doesn't do that, but a video can it's It's really, really simple and and that's the beauty of it
0: thing is it's it's hard enough to take a photograph of something without the background showing something that shouldn't be occurring. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a big conference in North America. And I was asked to create a video in a plant in the UK and just explain why standard work is really important to us and how it's the foundation of what we've done to create our lean culture. So I go down on the shop floor with my selfie stick, right? I had my earbuds in, I had the phone on the end of the selfie stick. And I did this really <laughs> nice video, where I spun round and I ad-libbed it, right? I completely winged it. And I thought, nailed it, first take. Went upstairs, plugged it in. Downloaded the video and I found there was people behind throwing things. There was three or four (laughs) containers being moved at a time when it should have been one at a time. I was like, oh, so Uh I went back downstairs and I redone the video, went back upstairs, watched it back. And there was things going on. There was a lorry that backed on and and didn't back on properly. And I was like, this is a nightmare. Uh In the end, I had to cordon off that corner of the building and say, no one's to come into this corner for the next five minutes whilst I stage managed my video. Uh (laughs) It's such a nightmare.
2: But, but you know that situation you have there with the photos or the videos, the fact that you can do it all in real time where the value's at
0: That's great.
2: That's such a time saver. You know, very basic thing in the app. When you take a photograph, you can zoom in and out. If there is that unsightly thing. So you can
0: focus on one bit.
2: Yeah. You can wow. choose what, even the original photograph you take, you can zoom in and out, just a typical, like, with your thumbs. Choose what's going to be in the SOP and then you can annotate it in the app. So you can draw your arrows and your callouts and your text and all that. Again, all the stuff that used to be so painful in our Microsoft yeah. situation. And all of that's done. And if you don't like it, you can take another photo there and then.
1: Oh.
2: All that iteration has reduced the... I call it friction, actually. I don't know if you're familiar with the Chi Ono where he shows up the process being a ball rolling down a hill. And standards are the backstop to stop the ball going down the hill, right?
0: Yeah. With Doc,
2: we reduce the friction to create the backstop in the first place. So to develop, document, and implement the standard, we reduced all of that friction. Then whenever you make a Kaizen and you push your process ball up the hill towards good, we reduce that friction as well because now you can make all of that on the fly at the Gemba again If you're deploying it digitally, you don't have to go running around trying to find all the printed copies. And even if you've got a a digital version that you're maintaining on a central drive and the document control, if that's an issue for your company, if you're an ISO-based company, for example, then all of that pain is there for you when you make your KaiZan. All of that's taking care in GemmaDox again. My original career was a quality guy and we built the ISO 9000 compliant document control in there.
0: About 10 years ago, I ran a rapid improvement event where they had a problem where the SOPs weren't being used. They weren't being updated and they weren't being seen. These were the three problem statements that we had. Anyway, the the event went on for five days. And you know what the root cause was at the end of it of why they weren't doing it Mm -hmm. was because it was too complicated to do. Totally, You had to take people off the shop floor, that to go and sit in a room on a computer, that to run between all of the problems we've described already were in Mm -hmm. there. And it was too hard. Mm -hmm. You know, we are human beings. If something's too difficult, we don't do it. Hundred percent. We should find a way of getting around it.
2: Hundred percent. I learned that from my very early days as a quality guy. If you're adding burden to people, and especially if they can't see why, yeah. and there's no weapon in it for them, all you're gonna do is turn yourself into a policeman. Yeah, trying to know. audit it all. That's what you're gonna audit them
1: into yeah. compliance you become the lean police. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One of the companies I used to work for, I was sent to the site to make sure they were following standard work. So I used to sit in the car park outside, Uh log in, see what their throughput was like, and then go in there. And as I got to the front door, they'd be on the radio saying, oh, the lean police are here, blah, blah, blah. By the time I got to the shop floor, they was Uh doing it all properly. They'd all suddenly change and they'd all react differently. It's like when the mother-in-law comes around, you start behaving different and you tidy (laughs) up. <laughs> right? They're doing it all properly, and I'd stay for an hour, and uh-huh. it would be great. Then I'd walk outside, get back in my car, pull up around the corner, open up the software again, look at the little graph, it'd go back to where it was before. And they were only uh-huh. doing it because the lean police were in. Ah, uh-huh.
2: yeah, and it's not a good thing. No, there's, that's there's not no a culture. Of is it? There's none of that. Is a good thing. It's actually what put me off lean in many ways. That even the term it it has a lot of baggage for people. Actually, really, really interesting point. Your wide SOPs fail if you're using them as a stick to beat people with. Don't be surprised that there's going to be a struggle to get make it happen. Yes,
1: the motivation yeah.
2: actually really matters. I'm not kidding. It it sounds like you know pink and fluffy rainbow clouds, but it matters if your motivation for doing the SOPs or getting SOPs to be a living, breathing part of your organization is to support your people to add value then it's great. You need to create pull. If you try to push lean into an organization, add extra burden, coerce people into doing it, it's going to always be a struggle and you're doing it wrong. And it's the same with SOPs. You need to create a, here's why we need SOPs, because if you're on holiday, somebody can do your job. If we've got new people coming in, we have a basis on which to train them. So we're all knowing how to do that job in a consistent way. And it's easy for you to train. Like for me, probably the key individual to get on board with SOPs are the team leader supervisor level. If you can get them to really want it, because they're going to know that when we've got good standards that are living, breathing, owned by them, life's easier to deliver their job, then you're, you're a winner. Whenever it's more burdened, you're a sticky wicket.
0: (laughs) But it's true. If you think back to being a child, when you go to school, learning is pushed upon you. The style Mm -hmm. is pushed upon you. The subjects are pushed upon you. Now, you might not have any interest in some of those subjects. French I was not interested (laughs) in French at all, but I was made to go to a lesson three Uh times a week. Complete waste of my time. Waste of that teacher's time because I wasn't Uh engaged. I was disruptive, if anything. (laughs) Now, that was pushed upon me. But as an adult, when I go to France through work, there's now a reason for me to want Uh to learn French because I'm going there. I want to communicate with people. I want to connect with people. I want to engage with people. I'm now learning French and I'm learning it in a way that I know that I retain information. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pulling that learning rather than it being pushed upon me. And mm-hmm. it's a totally mm-hmm. different mindset.
2: Very much. I could talk about that all day, the education system. But I had a very similar experience. Got a B in O level French. Didn't really like it. You we didn't had like to it. You language. got a B.
0: That's brilliant. No. Oh, yeah. What's
2: that all about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was a good academic kid. But like I didn't enjoy it. Didn't like it. And you know why? Because I didn't see the point. Yeah. So then fast forward, uh, 16 years later, and I joined O'Lare, and I hadn't spoken any French since I was doing my GCE, it was, not even a GCSE. And my boss at the time, because I spoke German, he said, oh, you're, I'm gonna, you, you need to run the factory in France. I, go, I can't speak French. And he said, you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll, you'll work it out, right? And I had one formal lesson, and the rest I learned on the job. Wow. And I was fluent within, I would say, four or five months. And uh, it was such a joyful experience, I have to say. A lot of people I've met in my career have had difficult times industrially in France. And I had too. Austin was no fun. But that Oler was an absolute joy. Transforming that factory is still one of my favorite career achievements. I
0: can see the smile on your face as you're talking about yeah. it.
2: The connection that you get when you're like the Irish guy, <laughs> it's a great thing. We're digressing for a moment. But I spent two weeks in the shop floor building product before I took over running the factory. And the French were like completely blown away by that. As Monsieur Director does not do that. You know, he's got a white collar and tie on. And uh, I learned so much about what we needed to do to transform that company Brilliant. as a result of that experience by going to the gamba, And I think lean in a lot of ways is about connecting with people. I really mm. do. If, if you can make lean uh, like how you can empathize, walk on someone else's shoes, both as a leader, let's say down, and I don't like to use that word, but you understand what I mean in the org chart, and vice versa, that everybody understands where everybody's coming from. Everybody wants to help and support each other. Mm. And that's culture. It's the central pillar. You talked about where SOPs sit in the house of lean, standards and stabilities at the bottom. The central pillar is culture. And they're all related. They're Mm. all interconnected. You can't have a really great organization that's lean and miss a significant part of that house or your house is going to struggle.
0: I always think a huge part of it is empathy. You have to have empathy for the people that uh-huh. do the work because if you don't understand the, the issues that they have and connect with them on that level, 100%. you're never going to be able to drive 100%. things forward. I think a common misconception with SOPs that, that I've found in my career is that people think an SOP is made and then that is the way we do it and that's mm-hmm. it and it's set in stone. And it took me a number of years to learn that an SOP is actually the best way we know of doing a task today. Today,
2: hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent easy. Example. Like I use Gamadocs myself, so I do monthly financial reviews are a great example, and we use zero the accounting system. And to get certain numbers, it's a bit of a fun and games, what you put in what field to get, what are the receivables and the payables and the blah, blahs. It used to take me hours every month because i forget why I did it the last time. <laughs> I would, no, seriously. <laughs> so now I have a gambit off for that and I have it on one screen and I do this stuff on the other screen. And I would say every month or two, I'll find an improvement and then I'll update the gambit off. So the next time I'm doing that, I've got a process and it takes a very short time and I can easily update it in the moment. Like, here's the thing. I read a book called Scrum recently, which probably loads of people who are listening to this podcast go, "What? he's only just read that. (laughs) But yeah, 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 it's a fantastic book. And in there, it talks about fixing bugs in software. If you leave the bugs to the end of the month to fix them all in one big lump, rather than fixing them in the moment... It's about 10 times worse in terms of productivity than if you stop and fix it right there and then because you've got all the context in the moment of that problem and you can make that adjustment. If you batch it and leave it all to the end of the month, then you have to think, oh, what, what was the context of that bug? And how to... And it's the same with your SOPs. It's when you're in the moment of the problem and you, or the opportunity to improve, if you can act at that moment, your process improvement is going to be much, much better than if you have to go to some central source to go, oh, I want to make this because like, you've all that friction, so people won't bother. You know, you got to go to him and get approval and <laughs> all yeah, that. Yeah. Whereas if you can if you can own that process and make that adjustment on there and then, your process is obviously going to have better kaiser than if you can't do that.
1: Thirteen-time Shingo Prize winner Dr. Jeffrey Leiker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere? listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves skip the rest and go with the best join us today and embark on your journey to excellence just click on the link below to start your journey
0: With 30 years of experience in certifying a range of improvement techniques, BQF is the standard you can trust in an ever-expanding market of qualifications. To gain a BQF certification, you need to demonstrate more than knowledge. You need to prove that you've been there, done it, and have learned from your mistakes. A BQF certification guarantees professionals who can walk the walk. What's certified by BQF, you are listed on their certification register where you can annually update your status to prove that you're still practicing your skills. BQF Certifications come in four levels, Associate Practitioner, Practitioner, Advanced Practitioner, and Master Practitioner, giving opportunity to grow and develop in each of these areas. Head to bqf.org.uk today to find out more about Certifications in Change Management, Customer Experience, Lean, Lean Six Sigma, Living Your Values, Mental Health and Wellbeing, Personal Development, and Programme and Project Management. Yeah, so, it makes so much sense when you say it, but when we're, you know, when we're working day to day and we get involved, it's so easy to say, I'll deal with that at the end of the month. I'm going to be doing this. So I'll do <laughs> that then as well. We do it. We do it around the house, don't we? Yeah. I walk around and I see a little DIY job it needs doing. I'm like, oh, that bit, there needs touching in that bit of paint. has got The kids have smudged it or chipped it. Oh, I'll do that when I do that bit. And I think, oh, I'll do that when I do this bit. And then by the time I get to actually doing it, it turns into I've got to decorate the whole room because I've let it go yeah. so bad. Like, it's
2: and then you later. don't do it at all. <laughs> you move out. <house>. You move. <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant analogy. In terms
0: of some tips then for people, so if people you know, are making SOPs or they've got a culture of the SOP in the drawer, what would be some of your tips for creating a good SOP? What makes a you know a top-notch bar-raising SOP? hmm
2: well, I actually wrote a little half-hour book, Great Processes, and GREAT is an acronym, and it's a, a quick guide on how, how to make any workplace better with SOPs. The idea behind it is if you're implementing SOPs in an organization, you can listen to it free on the Lean Play app or on YouTube, or you can download a PDF from gamadox.com. Dead easy to get everybody on the same page. That's a big thing. And create poll. Why would we want to do this? I think that's really important. So that's why I wrote that book. And hopefully we can put all the links at the end of the podcast. Let's talk what great means, because that, that answers this question. The G of great is gamba. So you need to do the SOPs where the value is added, not at your desk. If the value is added at your desk, that's fine. But do the SOP at the gamba, and you can do that with GembaDocs. And by or with the people doing the value, that's really important. You need to involve at least the people who are creating the value in that process so they feel some ownership. The R is recognized. There's no point in having SOPs if nobody recognizes them (laughs) as the way to do the job. So again, by involving the people in the creation of the SOP, that goes a long way to solving that issue. And if you can make the SOP, all the things we talked about, easy to adjust and so on, and therefore we know it's valid and we know it's the latest version, R gets ticked. E is easy to follow and easy to understand. We touched already, you know, the picture is not the wall of text. At Lumen, by the way, that was what an SOP used to be, a big wall of text. How do you set up the the line to do that, you know, complex electronic thing? And it's just a wall of text. The only people that could understand is the bloke who wrote it. Yeah, (laughs) So (laughs) easy, easy to follow, easy to use, pictures and text and simplicity. A is available at point of use. So if it's not available at the point of use, what's the point, (laughs) frankly? And T is tested and trained. So especially for critical processes, like I don't advocate, like we make safety critical equipment at Lumen going half million quid machines and if they're not right, somebody could die. You're not going to let anybody adjust that process you know they can decide oh we're going to test it a different way today <laughs> so yeah you know, so within that you can test the sop you have to train this personnel so you can't say like one of my favorite analogies you got on a plane the book went i've just read the manual how to fly this plane let's go <laughs> reading the sop is not enough in, in Critical processes, people need to be trained. So that's really it. It's Gamba, recognized, easy to follow, available at point of use, tested and trained. That's how you do a good SOP. It's a great benchmark
0: to check yourself
2: against. How do you do it now? I'd ask anybody listening to the podcast. How do you stack up against that benchmark of great and if you don't then go listen to that little book and hopefully it'll help you get great
0: i will pop a link down in the show notes people'd better go and download that because that sounds like a really I wish that was around 10 15 years ago tom when i was doing yeah. me uh me sops that would <laughs> absolutely brilliant do you know what i was watching the um i was watching the football last week absolute disaster but i was watching it anyway and um, the pundits were complaining about VAR, so about VAR, the uh-huh. Video Assistant Referee. And every single week, there's something about it. Every single week, there's uproar that the decisions are wrong and it takes too long. It's too slow. It's, not, it's yeah. not part of the game. And it got me thinking, and it goes back to what you're saying now about creating pool. There wasn't a pool to bring that technology and that standard into football, mm-hmm. and because there's no pull, as soon as there's a slight 100%. chink in the armour of yeah. its performance, everyone jumps on mm-hmm. the bandwagon. It's awful. It's rubbish. Yeah. Get rid of it. It's ruining everything. Ah. No one talks about the good side, and they're fighting an uphill battle because they're push, 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 push. They need to create pull to make that change mm-hmm. stick mm-hmm. and for everyone to own it. And it's the same logic, isn't it?
2: Definitely is. Actually, we had a conversation in one of my in-groups about VAR and the lack of process there was an incident recently was it a liverpool game
0: yeah and uh yeah.
2: Awesome. where they, they there was clearly a wrong decision but they clearly didn't have a good process that everybody understood uh, of how that was going to work and then whenever they were trying to pull the car out of the crash <laughs> yeah. like. but yeah. but yeah it's a great example of, of a, a like the definition i have in great process is a clearly understood process by everyone carrying out the work yes. and it you know, again, that clearly wasn't there. No, but look what they do with that. Oh, mm, uh, are <laughs> right. <laughs> the... <laughs> it's okay, I knocked a picture off.
0: <laughs> Tom's just fallen down on the floor. he will get up in a minute. Um, but, but what they do with that, which is really interesting, that Liverpool game's a really good example. So the process wasn't great. They haven't followed or come to the right conclusion. So what do they do? They take those referees, off of the list oh for the following gosh. week or they demote them yeah, and they yeah. do this every single week with the different people mm-hmm. imagine that That's in the real workplace analogy. yeah but mm-hmm. you imagine tom you're working on the shop floor right you haven't followed that sop so what are we doing with you tom we're demoting you mm-hmm. next week you're yeah. going to be working on that bit blame the process mm-hmm. not the person mm-hmm. if it's happening week after week after week and all these people are getting it wrong the process is wrong because yeah. nobody not deliberately sitting there going i'm gonna, deliberately going to do this wrong
2: you know, back in my original automotive days, we weren't allowed to say operator error on a corrective action report to Nissan. Interesting. So you weren't allowed to say, oh, we got this new guy in and he, you know, he put the screw in wrong. You weren't allowed to do that. So you had to go the level down, like five wise style. So yeah. why have we got an operator who's not trained on the line? Well, clearly our processes for onboarding and are wrong. So what are we going to do about that process? So then we're going to have a process where nobody gets to go on the line without five days supervised work. And we have additional quality checks on the product while we've got an untrained person in the process. And we actually had that at Lumen recently, believe it or not. Exactly that situation. Customer complaint, new guy had been in the line and we had to handle that in our morning Mm -hmm. meeting. And like I was saying to my business partner, Patrick, it's a great opportunity to show the kind of company we are. So we didn't blame Joe, sorry, Joe, (laughs) for that it wasn't his issue, that we made a silly mistake. We didn't have the appropriate controls on Joe, that he wasn't supervised properly. We didn't have the additional validation on the product to make sure that we were containing anything that potentially could happen on Joe's watch. And that was the problem. And we implemented countermeasures. Like our specific countermeasure was we have a double neighborhood check on everything now. Prior to customer, um, so it's just a, a process solution rather than hey Joe, you're fired. <laughs>
0: what <are> you getting... <laughs> As humans, that's what we want to do. We want to blame an individual, and you know, eventually, uh-huh. it's going to get to the stage where you've blamed so many individuals. There's no individuals left to blame. You, you know, your turnover is uh-huh. going to be so mm-hmm. high. You're still getting the defect or the error that you were getting before. You you need to actually look at the process and maybe even look at some error proofing in there where they can't get it wrong.
2: Clearly. And it, your, your point there about the, like I had this in one organization where the staff turnover, we had this revolving door of new people coming in and leaving. Like it was survival of yeah. the best. Like you'd literally get one in five that would stay in more than two or three months. And like, of course, the management are saying, oh, we can't get people. Yeah. <laughs> people are terrible. And yet up the road, we have companies that are, like, have no problem with that. Is it just the input or is it the company? Yeah. You know, it's the environment is the problem. So you get somebody, in, hey, come on in, mate, get your overalls, your PPE, sign that piece of paper, and then the machine's over there. Off he goes. Five minutes later, the machine makes a noise it's not supposed to. He gets completely stressed out. There's nobody to support him. Yeah. He's got no process. He's not been trained. The supervisor's overburdened because he's running around babysitting two or three other guys that are only maybe a few days further down the line than him. And honestly, it was one of the biggest productivity improvements we made at that place was stopping that phenomenon mm. because you had so much burden on the supervisors and so many, so much non-value-added happening with all this revolving door. And we did it just by upping the wages just a little bit for the new starters, taking them about, from memory, it was about 70p above minimum wage was one of the ways, and having SOPs. And nobody wants to talk about money in corporate lean culture no. world. But money is important. Money matters.
0: Well, no no one wants to talk about spending it, Tom. They want to talk about saving it.
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but overall, like that organization, we had a 26% productivity improvement measurable by the money we were paying per hour, per productive minute. And we did that. 26% in five months. And that was, in my opinion, one of the biggest reasons we got it.
0: One of the best results I've ever had from a Kaizen event was when we worked out what the cost of the attrition was. So we worked out what's the cost of the advertising, the hiring, the training, the development Mm -hmm. phase of somebody. And it worked out it took about nine months to get someone from application Mm -hmm. through to being at the bar on the shop floor. The cost of that nine months, Mm -hmm. we could spend half that money in investing in the individuals we had by improving their environment, by improving our SOPs, and and you don't Mm -hmm. get that churn, and you you can invest in your people. Because Mm -hmm. something I wanted to ask you, Tom, you you spoke before about having SOPs in the right place, and I think that's a really good point. So having the answer where the question is, is a term that you've used with me a couple of times before, and I really like that. Having the answer where the question is. Tell us a little about the significance of having an SOP in the right place at the right time and for the right people.
2: It's about flow. It, it really is about flow. And Lean to me is about flow. So we'll start with a really basic example. You go to the printer and it needs the cartridge needs to be changed. Oh, I'm in a rush. <laughs> where's, the bloody, where's the bloody cartridge? How can I change it? Oh, we've all been there. Who hasn't been there?
0: Do you know what I do at home, Tom? I I ignore it. Pretend I haven't seen it. I think my wife will do that later if I ignore it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, low, low toner. But we've we've got past that and it's just not happening anymore. It's just printing like gray things with no color. Yeah, so at Lumen, what's one of my favorite examples? We have a QR code on there. Again, you know, you might not have to change the printer cartridge yourself. Maybe six or nine months a year. So you've totally forgotten what happened last time. So putting the answer where the question is in this really simplistic context means, ah, I know what to do. Scan that on my phone. Ah, that's where the printer carriages are. That's that's the drawer you have to open. That's where they go. Bang, bang in there, boom. All that stress of, you know, potentially half an hour messing about is gone. That's a really simple application of put the answer where the question is. So, you know, if you've got, boxes to ship. The dispatch computer has all the SOPs. So they're all in a folder. They're all accessible on the browser of the dispatch computer. If the dispatch guy not there, we need to ship a box. Right. Okay. Open that. That's the world options. That's how I do it. That's how I book the courier. The... But you see, before we had Geminox, that could be like a three hour time. So <laughs> working out how you do something as simple as that. Actually, in the book, I define those as uh, banana processes. Uh, light bulb processes are things that are so intuitive, nobody needs to know. We don't need an SOP to turn the light switch on. can use my left hand, my right hand, my forehand. doesn't matter. Outcome's going to be the same. wee bit more struggle maybe, but yeah, we all know how to do that. And we, our objective is to make all processes light bulbs so that everybody knows how to do them. We don't need to have pilot training. The process is so slick and pokey that anybody can do it. Bananas are, there's an optimum way. Wouldn't it be great if we all knew it? And so we create SOPs for banana processes because there is an optimum way to peel a banana. That's for another podcast. And so they're guidelines and they're answer where the question is type SOPs that are going to help flow. Somebody's off. The new social media person's in. Yeah, how do I make a Facebook post? It's all there. Finally, we have traffic light processes. Now, these aren't really what the answer where the question is. So how do we test that really important safety critical thing? Yeah. That's a traffic light process. It's not like, oh, I think I'll do step three a bit different. No, they're mandatory. The, the traditional like automotive style, you do it just like that, mate. We have to train with those, but we may well test and audit those processes for compliance. At the end of the day, even then, if they're not where the question is, so if the test equipment is in one part of the factory and the SOPs in the other, what was the point? It happened. The SOP—they have to be accessible.
0: Do you know my favourite example of having the answer where the question is? Mm-hmm. Is on an aeroplane. Every time you go on an aeroplane without fail in the little pouch on the seat in front of you is the instructions of what to do in an emergency, how to put your face mask on, how to put your life jacket on. What they don't have is one little card in the front of the cabin. And then they say, if there's an emergency, make sure you run to the front of the <laughs> cabin. Everybody's going to queue up, read the instructions, get back to your seat as quick as possible, then apply your mask. You wouldn't do it, would no. you? We all accept mm. that there's a card ah. in front of us. Now, if we were to get on a plane and, you know, most of us, if we fly frequently, yeah. we probably zone out on the little mm-hmm. chat. But if there wasn't a card there explaining how to do that stuff, I would say to the yeah. attendant, excuse me, there's no card ah. for an emergency. Can, can you?" That's get me amazing. One? Yeah. But, it, but it's such a great example of having the answer where the question is, because if, you know, if an emergency happened, God forbid, you would need the answer in front mm-hmm. of you immediately. You haven't got time to call the attendant or run around. Uh-huh. Why do we not do that as part of our day to day activities at work? It just blows your mind.
2: It really does. I think I might have to rob that example. But <laughs> that's a really good example. I'll true, take that one it? with me today. No, it really is. And it, it, even how they're described. So, you know, they have different languages, but really exactly. it's graphics that are doing it. It's the pictures yep. that are telling you the story. So, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So e-
2: even that is a great lesson. Like the IKEA instructions. Yeah. Like, commercial. Yeah. like for me... I'm a fan of IKEA instructions, personally. If you've ever tried to assemble any other brand, it's much worse than IKEA. But, you know, they're essentially language agnostic. I love it. So you can tell just by looking at them.
0: One thing I don't get, though, and there's a question. I, one day I will ask somebody at IKEA how this works. When you look at the instructions, they are all visual. But the thing, the thing, because I don't know what it is, the thing that's putting them together isn't a human being. It's like some kind of blob with a really pointy <laughs> nose. I don't understand what yeah, that know is. Yeah, I the guy you're talking <laughs> about. What is that? I don't quite get what that is. I have
2: no idea. Beat me <laughs> really there.
0: strange. But you're right, though. And, and the reason they do that is so that they don't have to print. So, so say they printed off the instructions with lots of words in there and in all the different language they ship mm-hmm. to. When they package up the boxes, they would then have to go, right. they are Calax units for the UK, they're Calax units for Germany, and they would have inventory of stock there yeah. for all these different countries that they might never sell. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you make the product sort of negate the language issue because it's all visual, you've then got Calax units, X number in stock that you can ship anywhere 100%. wherever you need that at the right time. So it makes such sense, doesn't it?
2: We have customers using GemmaDocs for similar applications for installation instructions and maintenance, field maintenance. We have a lot of uh, US swimming pool installers and they put like how to change the filter, how to maintain the pump. They're all QR codes. The beauty of that is that if you want to change that SOP, if it's a printed thing and it's out in the field and you come up with a better way or whatever and you need to update it, you're in trouble. Whereas if it's a QR code and you scan it, it's going to be the latest version, future proofing it, if you like. So I I love that as an example. I was surprised I didn't see that one coming of people using it like that. The same goes for the instructions. Really, I look at the printed instructions in the IKEA thing and go like, why don't they just do a QR code? And like, you could do one that's this language that depending on where the phone is, that the person scans that code and it takes them to their language yeah, automatically. Yeah. You could so choose you could the language, that. couldn't you? <laughs> so.
0: Interesting. I had a, an incident on my car the other day where the run flat light keeps coming on on the dashboard mm-hmm. to tell me that the air pressure in one of the tyres is low. Anyway, lots of faffing about between the garage and myself. And we eventually found out that the valve was faulty and it, it was losing air slowly.
2: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um,
0: the problem with, with valves in modern cars is they have a sensor attached to them that alerts the car that it's running Yeah, I
2: worked for the company that made them for six months as a contractor. Oh, it's your yeah, fault. The, the, the word number one for that is used well, they were called Schrader Electronics, they're called something else now, Sensata. Ah. But yeah, I'm familiar with the problem.
0: The product. problem with that is, is it's not, a couple of quid for a valve now it's like 80 Uh quid for a valve Mm. and you can only get them from the main dealer so it's really like pins you down but anyway the the moral of the story was when i took the valve off and i looked at the sensor it's got a tiny little qr code actually on the sensor because it's a very small Mm. little object and when i scanned that qr code it took me through to a page that showed me the part number and all the places that i could buy it Uh from and how it fit the model of my car. Nice. And this QR code literally was probably a centimetre uh, by a centimetre stuck on the back. And I thought, absolutely brilliant. Genius. That is mm-hmm. the answer where the Perfect. question is.
2: And, and in the organization's interest and the customer's interest. To add that there. Because
0: it's driving business back to them. They're not then having to field calls of people ringing up saying, I'm after a part yeah. for my car. It's this registration. So they're saving time. That's Such a good idea. And one of the pitfalls that I've had in my experience of working in operations is we used to print off the SOPs in A4 format or A3 format. Now the problem with A4 is some of the processes were quite intricate and very small images that you couldn't really see. So you'd end up with these big A3 mounted SOPs. It was just dust Monument. collectors and they were all... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, QR codes you can create for free. There's loads of it all over mm-hmm. the internet. Place QR codes all around your plant in areas that need an SOP. You just have a "Scan Me" for guidance or "Scan Me" for help or whatever. Yeah. Everyone carries a device on them. Everyone. They do. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Scan it. Yeah, that's, bang. That's you've got our an experience.
2: SOP. That is definitely our experience. We have that happening with that QR code phenomenon. Is a common thing for Gamadocs customers. But we also have people with Cs of iPads. So <laughs> we have one UK customer, they won't mind me mentioning them, Sussex Camper Vans. They did an AME tour American Organization Association of Manufacturing Excellence. They did a tour like a year or so ago, and they're big Gamadox users. So they're doing van conversions into camper vans. And their operators take the iPad into the van with them when they're doing the conversions. So you can swipe through the SOP. You have the SOP exactly where it is. There's a lot of variation in the in what they do. So you might not have made that one for two or three months. So it's back to that. Might, what did I do last time? How do I do this? And you have that answer with you. And you don't need all the printed stuff and all of that. Because how could you carry that big folder with you? Whereas the iPad, you take that in, you can have the one you need right now.
0: I did a post on LinkedIn the other day around the Ikea example. And somebody mentioned on there in a comment, which made me laugh, is it's the complacency. You know, where you go wrong with doing something like that is where you think, I know how to do this. I've done this before. I've built a Kallax before. I don't <laughs> need the instructions. And you try and wing it. And that's the same example with yeah. the camper van. If they didn't yeah. have that SOP to refer back to... Mm-hmm there's a chance they could make a mistake in there and it could go wrong.
2: And then in your IKEA example, you have to go back to the beginning, disassemble the whole thing. Oh no, <laughs> it never goes back the same again.
0: <laughs> My wife pops in and goes, how's it going? And I sit there and I think, oh, and I do the typical man thing. I go... <laughs> have done it wrong. There's some, look, look these, these screws are too long. They're much longer than they should be. It's defective.
2: I'll make it work, oh, but it's defective. Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that bad. That's never happened to me. <laughs> oh, obviously not.
0: <laughs> I love this subject of SOPs. And I think when I've tried to go into organisations in the past, we've been kicking off continuous improvement. We don't do enough at the beginning to teach people about SOPs, to create yeah. the pull. We push them onto people and that's never going to work. Can you imagine someone coming into your house, giving you an SOP of how to make a cup of tea and saying, right, it's your house, but you are going to make a cup of tea this way because it's the way you, you have do it. You the
2: nail right on the head. That's the essence of what most people are doing. The Way I look at it, it's handcuffs. You're saying to people here, Yeah, you need to make the tea like that. (laughs) And what I'm supposed to be happy about this, like, what do you expect? They're going to resist, yeah.
0: I'll make the bloody tea how I want to make the tea. (laughs) Yeah, at the end of the day, you come to my house, you'll have a cup of tea how I make it, (laughs) how you tell me to make it. And
2: so, but you know what? The process, even something as simple as making the tea, like, if you do the SOP for the tea making as a group, you'll find two or more people are doing the, creating the SOP together and they're both familiar with the task, you'll come up with a standard that's better than either of you were doing before. I call it the best of because, oh, I do it like that. Oh, I never thought of doing it like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, and then you end up with this whole collaboration process happening. And if you look at the old original 60s and 70s American Lean School, TWI was basically a Toyota way of helping people document standards, standard work. And they have these little job cards that people were supposed to carry in their wallet. And one of them was, how do you create a job instruction is what they called it. The first thing was do it at the workplace and do it as a team and make sure the process experts are part of it and test it. They were saying that in the the, the early days of TPS slam. So that whole collaborative process, we haven't really touched on that. Whenever one or more of you are doing that task, whenever you collaborate, again, to get the recognition and the ownership happening, when you turn that, it's the creation of the SOP itself into an improvement exercise. There, that's it.
0: <laughs> that's, that is creating the culture of continuous improvement there, isn't it? It's the yeah. essence
2: of mm-hmm. 100%. it.
0: 100%. I'm a big fan, like you discussed before, of going to the shop floor and actually doing the work. And many times in my career, mm. I've gone undercover, like the undercover boss, just, just without the money. But I've gone in and I've actually done the operation for a day or two. Brilliant. I went onto the shop floor and I spent all day packing, picking and packing uh-huh. all day. The SOP was on a screen in front of me in the workstation. So I was following. It was all animated. So it was mm-hmm. proper infographic. Move, the individuals moving around, showing me what to do. So I followed it to the T and it was measuring my productivity in the corner. Uh And a little bit later on, I was talking to one of the other operators who didn't know that I wasn't just a Bob Standard operator coming in. And Mm -hmm. and I said, I can't get nowhere near your rate. Mm -hmm. I'm following it to the T. And this individual said to me, oh, no, don't do it that way. That's, that don't work. You've got to yeah. do it like this. And they gave me all these tips for how to do it. And right after the break, I went back and did it how they explained. And I was flying. Like, the quality <laughs> was just as good as I was flying. So I said to the supervisor, you know, why are we not updating that SOP to how that person's doing it? Because clearly that's the best way to do it. Yeah. And they went, oh, yeah, we don't own the SOPs. They're owned by the lean team who own them globally oh. and they deploy them. And I thought,
2: wow, this is exactly. such a mess." man it's just so stupid it's just so so stupid and like I actually get frustrated um, when I see Geminox SOPs that people have made too elaborate too high production because you're asking for that phenomenon yeah
0: you are you're inviting it you are
2: whenever you don't make it easy if you're going to make a big friction fold process to update that SOP that's exactly what's going to happen like for, for me, like a big piece of advice is get in the gamba. I updated my Improvement Starts with iBook recently, and they talk about beyond the Gemba. Get in the gamba. You know, the Ono's circle phenomenon, where Ono would chalk out the floor and the engineer would watch the process? I think it's much better if the engineer's in the process. If you're in, actually, the situation you described there, you, you if you were just watching that in Ono's circle you wouldn't have anywhere near the same insight as you do when you get in the operator's shoes and you say, these work instructions are crap,
1: which yes. is, <laughs> I've doing. been there
2: so many times. How are you going to know that unless you're trying to do that job? And And then you get into a whole... All the other issues Come out at you
0: It goes back to the empathy piece though Doesn't it Because if if you're standing there And you're doing an eight hour day On the shop floor And after six hours Your legs Mm. are just aching They're killing Where you've been standing up for so long And then a supervisor comes along And starts saying You're not following the SOP Uh If you've been down there and done it You can say to her I know what it's like Mm -hmm. here After seven hours What we need to do We need to give you some comfort matting Or you need some more breaks Or something
2: Yeah Or do something with the ergonomics of the job And so on and so forth Yeah at the end of the day, there's no money in struggle. That's the truth. There is no money in struggle. One of my favorite, I actually wrote about it in the book, Spartacus Moments. <laughs> you know, the movie, I'm Spartacus. You know, that real inspirational thing. I was in a company with a really super toxic culture and, and they'd only ever had, you know, you didn't meet your target as a management communication. Yeah. And I was able to stand in front of those people and say, actively don't want you to struggle. I don't want you to work hard. And it's not just because I'm a nice guy. And I am. It's because there's no money in that. There's no money in struggle, I'm telling you. Because you're going to have that turnover. You're going to have crappy quality. You're going to have dissatisfied people. Yeah. Eliminating struggle is the easiest way to articulate lead, mm. as far as I'm concerned. Because you can help to get people to create that pull when it stops being about you know making savings. When it starts to be about, we're here to make your life easier. To me, that is the key role of leadership. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to support you to add value and get value to flow to the customer in the best way. That's the job of the Continuous Improvement facilitator. That's the job of the company leader. And, like, when we're able to do that, we're cooking on gas.
0: Simple. Yeah, that's so true. We are enablers. Leaders are enablers. That's right. That's what they're there for.
2: That's what we are. We're And, you know, they hear all this servant leadership stuff. And, you know, I see an awful lot of things that I think are absolute BS in LinkedIn. There's some people that, I'll name them, just to be controversial. F- annoys me. It reminds me of, like, that nerdy kid at school that read all the books. <laughs> and you know but he hasn't done it he's been there yeah I've worked with Navy Seals but you weren't a fucking Navy Seal mate you know you you sat and you helped them and you coached them, but you didn't do it and like there's too much of so he comes out with the servant leadership stuff and all that I'm a huge fan of what he's saying but I'd love to hear somebody who's actually done it they're the people I listen to people who've done it (laughs) not the people who talk about doing it or consulted for the people who did it (laughs) I want to hear the people who did it. So, yeah, I've got the scars and the grey hairs to prove that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. We've we've got the war wounds. Tom, I'm going to give you another wound now because I'm going to invite you to play the yes-no game.
2: Hooray. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah,
0: I bet you have. (laughs) (laughs) There's no SOP. We just wing it. The only guidance I can give you is you cannot say yes or no, but I'm going to do my utmost to try and catch you out and get you to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. Now, the way it works is there's 60 seconds that you will hear some very intense music in the background to add some pressure to you. And I'm feeling kind today, so I'm going to give you the option of three different cards that are three different topics. Mm -hmm. You've got card number one, card number two, or card number three. Which one would you like?
2: I'll go for card number three.
0: Card number
2: three. Mm
0: -hmm. So your yes, no questions are all about oceans. Do you know much about oceans? That's
2: not something I've really thought about.
0: (laughs) Good answer. See, I was trying to catch you out there. You know, know they're wet. That's about as far as it goes. So you're going to hear some music. Let's see if you can go the full 60 seconds. You up for this?
2: Let's
0: do it. He says that with confidence. Love it. Brilliant. Right, 60 seconds loaded on my clock, Tom. Do not answer yes or no, despite how much I push you. Is the Atlantic Ocean larger than the Indian Ocean?
2: I'm not very sure. Is it wetter? Probably not.
0: What colour is the ocean?
2: I see blue or turquoise. It depends on the where you're looking at in the ocean or how cold or warm or what the rock is like underneath the ocean, how deep it is yeah. and so
0: on. It's, you sure it's not brown and murky? I've seen it
2: brown and murky <laughs> at times, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you swim? Do you swim in the ocean? I love going in cold water, it's one of my favorite things.
0: You like it?
2: I'm a big fan of, you know, the whole Wim Hof thing and all of that, I love all that. Colder the better. Oh, I
1: don't
0: like it. You don't know what's in there, there could be sharks in there, you're not scared of the sharks?
2: Uh, I think they're okay, people dive with them, swim with them, sharks get a bad rap. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you
0: smashed it. Do you know what? I'm really annoyed at myself. I haven't caught anyone out for ages. Oh. I can't remember the last person <laughs> that I caught out. I think you I tried did. to relax you as well. <laughs> that must be it.
2: You relaxed us too much, man. That must be it. That was really good. I enjoyed I'm it. am really it's impressed. Fun. fun, my friend. Yeah. Fun. Wow.
0: <laughs> Tom, where can people go to learn more about Gemba Docs, more about the book, download the freebie that you've got? Improvement starts with I.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You've got gambadocs.com where you can get the books. You can get PDFs of the books. You can get links to improvementstartswithi.com, which is another website where, again, access all things to do with the book, that book. grip Processes is also accessible on gambadocs.com. And the biggest thing I'd say is like, yeah, go do it. Just download, do the free trial. It's very intuitive. You don't need a pilot of training, go do.
1: Yeah,
0: your tagline should be the resource that keeps giving because it is. It will just keep giving over and over again and it, it would just save so much time. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Well, thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you coming on today and it's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
2: Really enjoyed it. Thanks and maybe see you again soon, Matt. That was absolutely great. Thank you.
0: Some key takeaways then from today's amazing discussion with Tom. We uncovered some fundamental principles critical for enhancing operational efficiency and fostering a culture of continuous improvement within organisations. First and foremost, we've learned the importance of GEMBA, the actual place where the work is done, as the cornerstone for developing SOPs. Involving the very individuals performing the tasks in the creation of the SOPs not only fosters acceptance, but it also ensures their effectiveness as well. SOPs really are the backbone of streamlined processes. They must be designed with simplicity in mind. Visual instructions utilising clear visuals and straightforward language prove to be universally understandable and more effective than text-heavy procedures. Accessibility is key. SOPs need to be ready available at the point of the work to maintain their relevance and usefulness. Otherwise, what's the point? Why do we just stick them in a drawer or stick them on the wall? They just get ignored and they just go out of date and disappear. Testing and training are imperative, especially for critical processes when ensuring that SOPs are effectively implemented. Additionally, we've highlighted the significance of focusing on refining flawed processes rather than attributing errors to individuals. Think about VAR in football terms, you know exactly what I mean. We've explored the power of technology, particularly QR codes, in accessing updated SOP versions, part information and diverse language content. Embracing digital transformation by moving from printed to digital SOPs really enhances accessibility, portability and the ease of updates. No longer do you have one individual responsible for SOPs, everybody can own it. It can be a collaborative effort. Now, collaboration in creation of SOPs involving those who are executing tasks enhances their effectiveness and ownership. Empathetic leadership and a culture of continuous improvement not only enhance efficiency but also cultivate an environment of growth and progress. Real world experience and practical knowledge often hold more weight than theoretical expertise, emphasising the value of learning from the field expert, getting down in the Gemba and doing the role yourself to really understand it. Finally, we discovered the role of practical resources like Gemba Docs in supporting continuous improvement initiatives, advocating for a hands-on, practical approach to refining processes. Now, in conclusion, from me, these takeaways underscored the significance of practical, empathetic and collaborative strategies in process improvement, technology utilisation and cultivating a culture and environment conductive to continuous enhancement within organisations – Get the SOPs right. They are the foundations of the house. They feed into the culture in the middle of the house. It's so important. SOPs with a pool culture are the way to do it. Now, after the episode finished, Tom said to me, Matt, I want to give something back to the Ever Selene listeners. And he has. Tom has very kindly offered a 10% discount to anybody that wants to have a go at using Gember Docs. All you need to do is click the link down below in the show notes and quote Ever So Lean 10. That's Ever So Lean 10. And you'll get 10% off your GembaDocs subscription and you can try GembaDocs for your SOPs creation and management. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks for that, Tom. Really appreciate it. Right. That's it. That brings an end to this episode of the Eversalene podcast. Thanks so much to Tom for joining us today and really lifting the lid on SOPs and helping us understand some of the pitfalls, some of the best practices and some of the great resources that are available for us to be able to do such an important thing for our people and for our organisations. If you like the sound of today's show and you would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Eversalene podcast on your favourite platform or at everceline.com where you'll also find episodes that you might have missed and you can also find about the services that we have on offer here as well. If you can, please take a moment to like and review the Eversalene podcast on the platform that you listen to. I'll be extremely grateful. It means a lot and your review really does mean so much. That's it. I'll see you on the next episode and don't forget. Everceline. You know it makes sense. The Everceline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everceline.com to find out more.